come. Boga, boga, yo monster. Listen, there's a fantastic uh, feel today in the monster business. California, a young man emerged from a restroom aboard an American Airlines jet on a flight from Boston and pranced nude up and down the aisle ten minutes before landing at L.A. <laughs> oh, God. It's uh, Los Angeles. Uh, bring it up, please. Uh, that's what did it to him. That's what did it to him. He took one look down there, you know, in that Cloudville cuckoo land. Flipped his cork and you know, he's running around, in and out of the john. I think we all secretly have an urge to run screaming nude down the middle of some aisle. Uh, basic human drive. I, I, was, uh, I was at a party the other night saying... Guy comes up to me and he says, uh, You're going to the party, right? Next week. And I said, What party? He says, Oh, well, it's an important party. And I said, uh, Really? What's, what's important about it? He said, Well, it's a, you know, it's a party to commemorate this thing. And I said, To commemorate what? And he said, Well, we're having a party to commemorate the, uh, the explosion, the fire, and the disaster of the Hindenburg. I said, What? <laughs> That's a kind of a strange thing to celebrate. And you say, yeah, yeah, we're having a, a Hindenburg party. You ever hear of Hindenburg? Listen, if you want to read a wild book on that, if you, if you, if you, if you no, it's serious. If you want to read a book that, that uh, I mean, it reads like James Bond in a lot of ways, uh, read a book called The Hindenburg. The Hindenburg by somebody named Mooney. So I'm going out and celebrate it, you know, it's a, in fact, that's part of the, the essence of our time. We're so fascinated with disasters that disasters have become really kind of a groovy thing. And I suspect uh, we'll be, you know, there'll be parties in a few days, in a few weeks, a few years, it'll start growing until it really gets big. You know, they, to celebrate the, uh, the, uh, the massacre of the, uh, of the Saracens by uh, Genghis Khan. <laughs> celebrate the... Uh, you know, the, the big day that uh, that uh, Lizzie Borden uh, whacked off the heads of her parents. It's called Lizzie Borden. Of course, they do celebrate that up in New England, don't they? Lizzie Borden. That's a big day. That's kind of a fun crime. They, some crimes get you know tend to get that fun label on them after a while. And, and like Bonnie and Clyde, it becomes sort of fun. All the guys they bumped off is kind of fun scene. Would you please hit the money button? I'm a bad habit. You know, that nasty old cigarette you're smoking, that third martini you're ordering, that unmentionable fantasy you're having, that fingernail you're biting, that malamar you're sneaking. I'm an awful little demon, and just about everybody knows me. There's even a Broadway comedy about me. It's called Bad Habits. It's at the Booth Theater. All the critics loved it. Clive Barnes said Bad Habits is very funny. I could tell you a few things about Clive Barnes, too. <laughs> Well, if you're going to buy a car, we have a little thing here for you. If you need some dough to buy that car, and I assume you do, uh, Chase Manhattan has a little deal they'd like to talk about. They've got a really nifty little gift that goes along with every car loan of $2,000 or more. It's a handsome, luggage-like highway emergency kit. You get a fire extinguisher, a tire inflator, 
an emergency blinker, a spotlight, a booster cable in there for your battery if it goes down, gas siphon, a first aid kit. It's worth almost $20, and the offer expires the 30th of June. So whatever you do for a living, you have a friend at Chase Manhattan. In the current issue of TV Guide magazine, a short history of the TV roast. Unlike a TV dinner, a roast can't be eaten, but it can be enjoyed. It's a gathering of friends in front of a camera to exchange quips about the shortcomings of someone they know. It's a crazy way of telling people you love them. The story featured in TV Guide. In the same issue, English critic Richard Afton criticizes English television, which he feels at the moment is suffering from an acute case of indigestion. His reasoning makes interesting reading. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Peter Boners of the Bob Newhart Show. The role of the unconventional orthodontist qualifies Boners as a leading second banana. A look at how he views his contributions to the series this week in TV Guide, America's biggest-selling weekly magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. And so, you know, speaking of crime... All right, everybody, let's dance. Oh, I'll tell you, crime is taking a, taking a real evil turn. Now, you know, money is one thing. Uh, the guy's stealing dough. Uh, you know, the dough is just paper, after all, ultimately. But did you hear about the, the fantastic crime that just occurred? Well, it only occurred about two blocks from here. In fact, it was only about a week ago. It was really a, a dastardly crime. It's the only way I could describe it, dastardly. And it's a, it's a comment on our times, and it's a comment on a lot of stuff. Right down here, not more than two blocks away, there's a seafood restaurant. And this seafood restaurant, like a lot of them here in New York City, has in the, the window, the main window, they've got a tank with lobsters in it. You know, swimming around. You've seen those places, see? Well, everything was going fine. It was dinner time, and people having their little martinis and stuff. They're all sitting around the seafood joint there, and the waiters were rushing back and forth. And all of a sudden, out of the night, and through the swinging doors came this Wino, drunkard and a skunk, reels in, you know, and, and he just reels in through the swinging doors, and without any hesitation, he just reaches out. Hey, I'm giving you a cue, don't you see me? <laughs> what you think I was doing, scratching my ear? He just reaches out, see? Just reaches out with a, with a, with a, with a, with a fantastic uh, quick move. And that was, that's what got him, see, because he was drunk. He comes running out his hand and rushes out like a, like a snake into the tank and grabs a live lobster. And he just turns around and runs out the swing of door and he takes off down 6th Avenue like a bat out of hell with all the waiters chasing him, trailing buns, uh, salt shakers, yelling, Stop, please, stop, stop! The guy's running down the street with a lobster. <laughs> Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah, what a scene right out of a, right out of a Charlie Chaplin movie. Now he's crossing 6th Avenue. He's now nearing Radio City Music Hall. The crowds are screaming. He's running up the side of the building. He's carrying that French fish. Look at that. Hold it there, hold it there. Thank you, thank you. Great. And he stole this lobster. Well, when I read that, I says, oh, you know, that is, that is crime. Because let's face it, uh, today, uh... Uh, lobsters are rarer than dollar bills by any means. In fact, there's one restaurant I go into. If, if, if you've not been keeping up with this, for those of you who are non-seafood cuckoos, you probably don't know what's been happening. That, uh, that the lobster has become so valuable. 
that in many areas the lobster now rivals an uncut emerald uh, in, in, in total uh, total value. Now, I went into a restaurant the other day, and I sit down, and uh, it's a seafood joint. You know, I've been going there for, you know, a lot of times I've been in this place, and uh, that great big double-page menu, about 15,000 different types of fish and stuff. And uh, they had one, one whole department, Mark, lobsters, as they always did. You know, lobster, Newberg, lobster, lobster, uh, Amandine, all various types of lobsters, and broiled Maine lobster. And I look at the thing, it says lobster. They've taken the prices off. What says lobster, broiled, taken the prices off. And in ink, which means it's permanent, they have written in, ask for estimate. Ask for an estimate. They didn't say ask for the price. It's the estimate you asked for. So, yeah, uh, I'd like to uh, give, have you give me an estimate. I'm taking estimates. I've been in three places today. Uh, I'd like an estimate out on a medium-sized lobster with a uh, baked potato, please. He says, wait a minute. We'll call in our estimator. The estimator comes from out of the kitchen, takes a look at you, and says, uh, you know, hands you the estimate. You say, oh, my God, no, stop it. And you leave, and you go and get another estimate. Now, that's what's happening to the lobster scene. And uh, it's a sad thing. And uh, I, when I heard about that lobster rustler, that guy, uh, coming in out of the street, and, of course, overcome by uh, insatiable hunger, he comes in out of the street, reeling, reaches out and into the tank, grabs the, uh, and this is a live one, of course, he grabs a live lobster and he takes off like a bat out of hell and runs down the street with a lobster. Now, I hope he got a good one, because there are little ones and big ones in them tanks. But the thing that <laughs> the thing that that hit me immediately. Give me a little romantic music, please, if you will. A little romantic music. I, I think a little cheap guitar music uh, would uh, suffice. There, thank you. Yeah, it's just a little romance there. No, no, I'm not going to go out to the party to celebrate the explosion of the Hindenburg. I suppose they play those records at the party, you know, where the guys are, oh, the humanity, help, help, it's crashing, and the. Uh, they probably have a few charred bones and stuff like that. This is a part of the macabre aspect of our time. But uh, I'm thinking about this this lobster robbery. Now, a lot of lesser observers of the scene <laughs> would probably just think that's one of those funny things that happen, you know. little funny kicker at the end of the news kind of thing. No, no, I'm going to take a different view, friends. Friends, fellow victims fellow travelers on the yellow brick road of eternity in the 20th century, I'm going to take a different view. And my view is essentially this. This is the first overt example we have of a man stealing something which is rapidly going into the realm of true value. You know, we used to think, just yes, quiet, just quietly behind me. That's all. Yes, yeah, quiet. It's just... Yes, yeah, quiet. That's the way romantic, cheap guitar should be. And I, I, I just think that the guy running in, and remember, he's running the risk of being caught for robbery, everything else, you know. And what does he steal? He does not steal cash. He doesn't come in and reach his hand into the till and run out with a bunch of dollar bills. He grabbed a lobster. Now, he must have thought about this. This was obviously a, a well planned caper. He was a little drunk, but he knew what he was doing. Because he, first of all, he grabbed the lobster in the right place. I talked to one of the waiters. He says he knew about lobsters. 
<laughs> you grab a lobster in the wrong place, you're going to know about it. I'll tell you that. This guy grabbed them right. He says, he grabbed them right just perfect. He says, this guy was a good lobster man. He said, not only that, he says, you know, this same waiter I talked to, I talked to him at this place, you see. He says, uh, he says you know, I don't know whether you've ever tried to catch a lobster in a tank. He says, these were fresh lobsters. He says, sometimes it takes me upwards of 15 minutes to catch a lobster in it. He says, they move. He says, they move like, you know, like Billy be damned. He says, this guy knew what he was doing. He says, he moved like a snake. He says, I had never saw anything like it. He says, this guy could work here anytime he wanted. He says, he grabbed that lobster and he took off like a bird. And he said, as he ran down the street, he said, me and Sam and Aki, you know, we took out after him. And our towels flapping. He said, we run down the street after him. And he said, you could see the feelers and the, and the claws and all that stuff. He says, this guy's running. And he said, people looking at him. He says, they, you know, some people hollered, stop thief. And he turned right at 49th Street. He says, we never did see him again. Probably got in the subway with it. Pretend it was his date or something. And he sat down in the subway with his lobster. Now, I'd like to point out something. This is This shows what what the price of food is getting like in our country. You know? There's going to be a day when some guy's going to come right up to you. You're, you're going to be sitting there in this restaurant eating a steak, see, which is going to cost you half your next month's paycheck. You know, you'll be chewing away. And you just get the knife and fork, and suddenly two masked bandits come out of the dock, grab a hold of your steak, and run. <laughs> you're, you're laughing, right? Well, you know that this has happened in other countries in times of inflation. That, uh, that it's, a, it's a historical fact that in, in at least one European country, in Germany, for example, in the 20s, they had this fantastic inflation where if a guy wanted to go down and, you know, buy himself uh, some, uh, some, uh, some hot dogs, you know, some Frankfurters or something like that, it took a wheelbarrow full of dough. A wheel, so money was nothing, you know. The Frankfurters were everything. The money was nothing. So guys would get slugged in the back of the head coming home from the, from the meat market with a pork chop. You know, it's worth $27 million. And that was bigger than the Boston bank robbery caper. And that's a fact. They were murdering guys in the street. You know, guy, if, if the word was out that, that some guy was walking down the street with two pounds of spare ribs, his life was, I mean, not worth a plug nickel. In fact, a plug nickel, uh, forget it. By the way, have any, has anybody ever seen a plug nickel? I never have. I, I suspect that plug nickels are very valuable because they seem to be rare. I've never seen one. <laughs> I really haven't, you know. But uh, I, 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 uh, I, I'm now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sing a gentle hymn here and uh, play upon the gentle heartstrings of poetry, because I suspect that within the next few years, like say 1975, the lobster will join the okapi as one of Earth's most rare creatures, and the panda. And there'll be big there'll be big announcements made in the paper that the that the International Aquarium at Washington has just acquired two actual lobsters. And people will line up for miles to go in and see a lobster. And and other people, of course, old codgers of the period will walk around and they'll tell wondrous tales about the days when a guy could go in and eat one. Actually ate a lobster. You don't know what lobsters taste like. People say, You mean you ate a lobster? You actually ate a lobster? Not only that, I put butter on them. A little salt and pepper. In fact, uh, one time I ate two lobsters one night. Just one in this place got two lobsters. Always to it. And people say, I can't believe it. Oh, come on, you must be a thousand years old. But I mean, it's like, roughly like saying you ate a dinosaur. You, and you sit down there and, uh, you know, polish off a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Because the 
Lobster, unfortunately, is joining that great band of animals that are quietly but sneakily departing the scene. And there will be a day. When people, by the way, I suspect there will be a day when some museum from far off time will acquire a portion of an actual lobster shell. And it will confirm the suspicion that such a creature as the lobster once existed. It's like the dodo bird. Did you know that there is one stuffed dodo bird in the world? You know that, Jerry? One. Only a part of a stuffed dodo bird. Part. And that in itself, by the way, that reminds me, this is WOR New York. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Well, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> What are you, I, I'm talking about the <laughs> museums. I mean, I'm talking. All, all right, I want to stop it. Stop it there. Stop it. That's enough of that. Crying out loud! I knew I'd get in trouble tonight. But uh, speaking of trouble here, friends, uh, we've got uh, a lot of commercials here. So settle back, fasten your seatbelt, take a big, great, big swallow of your martini, and here comes the first one. And now the French experience. Today's episode brings an anxious knock to Felicia's door. It's Buffy, my old sorority sister and head cheerleader at Jolly Time Girl School. Felicia, it's my Jerome. Another woman? No, it's my wine. He says the sweet little wines I buy aren't mature enough. Then you must give Jerome the French experience. Felicia, and you a jolly time girl. Alexis Lachine Rosé d'Anjou wine, Buffy Puff. Alexis Lachine Rosé d'Anjou will turn your meals, your marriage, into a mature French experience. Tune in tomorrow when we hear Buffy call to cheer. Alexis Lachine, rah, 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 the French experience, this boom, boom. Now that's the Buffy I know. Oh, do you still drink that red wine from Spain? Or is that nothing pink wine from Portugal? Well, then you try the French experience. Indeed, That's the Alexis Lachine French experience. Wine imported from France by Bass Sherrington Vintners, New York. Of all the Pulitzer Prizes, the gold medal for public service is the most significant. Because that's the one and only Pulitzer Prize awarded to a newspaper rather than an individual. In the past 25 years... Only one newspaper has won three Pulitzer Gold Medals. Here's the publisher of that paper. The newspaper is Newsday, and I'm Bill Atwood. All of us at Newsday are proud that we've won the 1974 Pulitzer Gold Medal for the Heroin Trail, our 32-part series that traced the movement of heroin all the way from Turkey to our own neighborhoods. Newsday also won Pulitzer Gold Medals in 1954 and in 1970 for exposing corruption in high places on Long Island. The fact that we are the only newspaper in America to win three of these gold medals in the past 25 years naturally means a lot to Newsday. But because of what these awards stand for, public service, they mean just as much to the more than two and a half million people who live here on Long Island. Hey, uh, fellow victim out there, if you need some money to buy a car, here's some really great news from Chase Manhattan Bank. They have a really nifty gift that goes along with every car loan of $2,000 or more. A handsome, luggage-like highway emergency kit. And listen what you get in this kit. A fire extinguisher, a tire inflator, an emergency blinker, a spotlight, a booster cable, a gas siphon, a first aid kit. Why, it's worth almost $20. Offer expires June 30th. 
Whatever you do for a living, you have a good old solid friend at Chase Manhattan. There is a sensible world. And you can buy it at your supermarket each week for 25 cents. It's all in the pages of the National Enquirer. And we call it the sensible world because it's free of crime, corruption, and scandal. Our newsbeat is the world in which science, technology, medicine, health, nutrition, government, business, education, even ESP, is easy and pleasurable reading. A world of people, the famous and the not-so-famous, of family and community, that involves, inspires, and entertains our 10 million readers. National Enquirer, crisp information, fresh laughter, and wholesome stories. It's the one news weekly for the entire family. We have good news for you. This week, make it National Enquirer. Yes. But you know, uh, I, I, uh, I just think that, uh, that the disappearance of the... Al- of the uh, uh, by the way, that's another endangered species. But the disappearance of the of the of the uh, lobster really is a sad thing. I, I uh, it is because you're you're listening tonight to a dedicated lobster cuckoo. I, I really I really like lobsters. Do you? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I've always said that if if uh, it's a great test, you take a chicken to a place, and if she doesn't like lobster, there's a lot of other stuff she doesn't like. I would suggest that you make other arrangements quickly. Because you're onto a bad scene. <laughs> I mean, I really are. And uh, I, I, uh, it's, it's a, it's a one of Shepard's famous uh, thumbnail tests that uh, you can apply. There's all kinds of little tests. They're kind of a, kind of a, what you might call a, uh, kind of an instant uh, litmus paper test. And I, I, uh, I've had some great lobsters. That's good enough. I, I remember one night, I'm driving along, see, and I'm going up uh, into New England. Everybody, you know, everybody has his his stories. I think I think the stories uh, of, of of restaurants the people have run into, you know, just just came across them, that kind of stuff. Every everybody, I, I've never known anybody who didn't have some kind of restaurant stories, either restaurant horror stories or uh, restaurant fantasy stories. Oh, I've got a great restaurant horror story. You want to hear one? Okay, I go to this great restaurant one night. And uh, I'm with this chick, you know. Oh, elegant. Oh, I mean, you know, the kind of place where just to sit down is fifteen, twenty dollars Then the food starts after that, you know. Then they start figuring it up. So, go to this elegant restaurant. And, they had, and, and, and this is one of other Shepherd's Rule of Thumb. Stay out of any place that has a green marquee in front of it. Word of thumb. You know, the kind that sticks out over the, the, the green kind canvas thing, you know. Places with the foreign that type names. Watch out. Watch out! You you may just be shucked like an ear of corn, uh, and, and also shepherd's rule of thumb: stay clear of places with handwritten menus. This can be an exciting night, unless you come very well healed, which case it can be not only an exciting night, but also a uh, similarly intriguingly uh, uh, debilitating night. Oh yeah, nothing nothing like paying the piper after it's all over, you know. The, but nevertheless, I go to this elegant restaurant scene, very famous one here in town, and uh, I, I again neglected to uh, to uh, obey my own rules. It has a marquee out in front. I go in, you know, knowing full well that it was madness. 
Also, there is another rule Shepherd has. That, uh, these are all little things. Well, they ought to print and publish all these. You know? Another little rule is stay out of a place that has this imitation red velvet wallpaper. The embossed red velvet. That's the, Stay away. Stay away. I have never found a restaurant yet that had that kind of stuff, that had anything else going for it. I mean, uh, first of all, that red velvet stuff is peculiarly uh, depressing. It can really kill a conversation in a hurry. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like stepping into Frankenstein's bedroom, you know. But uh, nevertheless, I'm, uh, I'm in this place. It not only had a marquee out in front, it had red velvet wallpaper, right? So, uh, and, and all, another thing, beware of any place that has a head waiter who meets you at the door and whose name is something like Luigi. It's bad. Bad. Luigi is generally, uh, uh, generally a fugitive from the upper Grand Concourse. And he's about as much as a, of a Luigi as I am uh, Flambeau, you know. <laughs> but he always comes on like, ah, so, how, how many, please, sir? And you say, two. Ah, two, yes, sir. Uh, my name is Luigi. I take you in. Well, of course, uh, this is uh, right away, you know, that you're, you're, you've stepped into the trap. It's just like, uh, you know, a poor, sad little uh, ladybug walking along. And, and uh, this uh, black widow spider says, hey, would you come over here and help me tie my shoe? And the poor ladybug does. At which point the ladybug discovers that there's more to tying shoes on black widow spiders than meets the eye, originally. So, <laughs> nevertheless, I walked into this trap, but it was hell or high water. See, you know, there's certain times when you get carried away by passion and emotion. What the hell, you, you can't take a wit yet. You know that expression? You only live once. <laughs> so I go in with a check, right? We sit down. And uh, Luigi comes over and says, uh, do, you wish, do you wish to have a drink or would you prefer the menu? I said, we'll have a drink. So, oh, very good, sir. What shall you have? Well, of course, the chick immediately realizes she's got a live one on the line. She orders uh, a seven-color pousse cafe. Uh, right, the evening started to go downhill. Now, if you know what is it, a pousse cafe? You know what is it, a pousse cafe? Why do I know these things nobody else does? Pousse cafe. Well, if you, that's another one of Shepard's rule of thumb. Anytime you're with a girl who orders a pousse cafe, arrange to go to the john and go out the window. Don't come back in. <laughs> you are with a bad number. So this girl, who looked quite innocent, says, I will have a Pousse Cafe, please. And the waiter says, Ah, the Pousse Cafe, of course. Yeah, the Pousse Cafe goes for roughly three and a half, for starters. Now, a Pousse Cafe, I will give you a brief technical description. You know what is it, a liqueur? Right, you know that, right? Now, a liqueur is not the same as a liquor. A liqueur, Right. Now, a liqueur is a sweet, generally a sickeningly sweet, after-dinner drink. Now, each liqueur has a different specific gravity. Are you aware of that? Of course, all liquids are that way. Now, an elegant seven-color pousse cafe is just that. It's served in a tiny, thin glass, like a high, thin test tube, with a little stand on the bottom. And the bartender must very carefully float seven different types of after-dinner liqueurs, one on top of the other until they float in layers. They don't mix, they float. That's the, that's the essence. If he mixes them, forget it. It goes back. They float so that when you hold it up to the light, you see seven layers of differing shades. You see golden chartreuse. You see green chartreuse. You see dry sec. You see anisette. You see all the various totally high expensive and fantastically high specific gravity things floating up to the top. 
Now, how is a Pousse Cafe served? Oh, with elegance. He, uh, he puts a little screen in the top of it, see? And just before it's served, he takes a, a match, a special Pousse Cafe lighting match, of course, which you pay for. And uh, yeah, it comes direct, uh, direct from Marseille, France. And he goes, Psh! the light goes, poof. There's a little tiny flame. Everybody in the restaurant applaud, especially Luigi. And uh, they bring it over and they sit it down in front of the chick and it's flaming away there saying, oh my God, what have I got here? Well, I order my usual, see, which is a, a, a wild strawberry diet, yoo-hoo. And uh, I, yeah, I like it with a little vodka. And uh, I, I uh, feel, you know, a little sprig of mint, too. It's kind of nice. So I'm sitting there, and, <laughs> and, you know, playing it big. I, I st- things are still under control at this point. And uh, it's not going too far down. I figure that if I keep a tight rein on things and, and uh, keep my eye out, you know, keep it peeled, everything's going to go good. So she has the Pousse Cafe. And the way a, a, a true Pousse Cafe drinker drinks a Pousse Cafe is that's, incidentally, part of the whole mystique of the Pousse Cafe. The drinker is not supposed to mix them either. So, the trick of the Pousse Cafe is to take seven sips, drawing off each layer in turn. And now we are down to six. See, she holds it up to the light, and I could see him with an expert. Um, first of all, I'd never seen this actually done. I'd heard about it. But this chick not only did it, but every time she would sip with that elegant little bird's mouth, she would go like that the crowd at the bar would applaud. Because by now, this exhibition was attracting much attention. And uh, she sipped off the six remaining layers, and I'm down to the ice cubes now, and my my uh, wild strawberry Yoo-Hoo vodka, which is not bad. You know what it's called? Rasputin's Revenge. Is that drink. If, you, if you, any of you would like to order that drink, you just go into any bar that, that knows what the score is and just say, I'll have a Rasputin's Revenge. And he'll say, what the hell is that? And you said, that is uh, two jiggers of wild strawberry diet yoo one jigger of Smirnoff vodka, two ice cubes, and a sprig of mint. Now, either you'll get thrown out, or you'll become the local celebrity in the bar, one or the other. So, <laughs> you like these drinks I invent, don't you? So, uh, <laughs> so nevertheless, there I am sitting there with my, with my Rasputin's Revenge, and I'm toying with the idea of having another one because uh, the first one uh, didn't, uh, you know, didn't make much of a dent. Uh, and I am headed off at the pass when the chick opposite me says, uh, Luigi! And Luigi comes over and she says, I will have another one, would you please uh, 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 tell him to make it a double. A double? My God Almighty, a double! <laughs> and of course, Luigi sung, he, he, he walked away on tippy toes, singing, because Luigi obviously was on a uh, percentage basis with the fire, and a double seven-layer Pousse Cafe runs into astronomical figures. I do not even have to discuss what they come for. In fact, they're not even listed on the average bar menu. It's the kind of thing that you send the Tiffany's for, see? So, nevertheless, she gets her double seven-layer Pousse Cafe. And by the way, it gives double the flame, too. Bloom! You know, up it goes. (laughs) My eyebrows are singed, and I'm sitting there, and I order another Rasputin's Revenge. Well, uh, I'm making my usual idle conversation, which is sparkling with a sardonic wit. Such things as, uh, nice place. It's uh, usually my opener, say. It's always good for, you know, at least maybe two or three milliseconds of dull conversation. <laughs> and she says, yeah, yeah, yes. 
So how do you like the uh, Pouce Cafe? Uh, see, I was hoping she'd ask me to have a little sip of it. I'd like to try one of these these uh, expensive enormities, which I am investing heavily in. You know, I'd just like to try one once. But that, that's not done among Pouce Cafe drinkers. I learned later that was a very gauche thing for me to do. Because part of being a Pouce Cafe drinker is this whole thing of sipping off each layer at a time, and one does not. And you see, the, the total medley, then, that is formed within the psyche by the seven layers would be totally disrupted if I drank one layer. You know, it's like uh, one missing chord in this majestic uh, panoply of uh, uh, booze, really, is what it ultimately results in. So <laughs> I uh, I said, I'd like to try it. Uh, <laughs> and she just sort of looked at me and says, oh, you'd like it. It's very nice. But she did not offer it to me. It's very nice. So we're sitting quietly. Uh, I have another ploy, if you don't mind, uh, another ploy. Uh, it's just kind of a good ploy when I'm uh, making sparkling conversations such as... Uh, 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 you like seafood? That's that's good. Uh, either the girl says, oh, icky. Or else uh, she says, mmm, yummy. Now, both can be dangerous. First of all, she says, oh, yummy. Watch out. That's level to result in Armando's specialty, which is three lobsters on a three-inch steak accompanied with oyster sauce, which can take you way out into the... <laughs> wild blue yonder of problems when it comes to settling up after the gay festive evening. Now, on the other hand, if she says, oh, ugh, icky, that means you've got a dead one on the string, and you might as well prepare right now. You've, you've got the yesterday's cake of yeast with you tonight, and you might as well just take her home quietly after the meal, and, uh, you know, you can't win them all. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm sitting there, and then making my conversation when uh, Luigi comes over. you want, This is my horror story, right? You want to hear it? All right, now it's getting right down to the point. And by now, of course, Rasputin's revenge has uh, warmed the cockles of the heart. I'm getting expansive. The girl is uh, now down around layer five on her second double pouce cafe. Everything is under control. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, everything's looking kind of good. And I look over to my right and uh, I see this red wallpaper. And even that looked kind of good, you see, because Rasputin's Revenge does that to you. It makes a lot of things look good. So we're talking away there, and we're playing Neasy, which is kind of fun. And Neasy is played in most of these little French restaurants. They have these little tiny tables, you know, about the size of a Yugoslavian stamp. And uh, usually one or at sometimes as many as three legs are cut at odd and random lengths. Now, the table then tends to tilt wildly from time to time. You've been in restaurants like that, the table constantly tilts. Now, I know why this is. I will not bring it up. But uh, I have often, on, the, on occasion, gone into restaurants like this. You lean your elbow, the table tilts, and there goes your $2 drink on the floor. And for $2, you bring you another one. So those tables are very clever. They're good money makers. So I'm sitting there next to my little table there, and be very careful. Now, when you play, when you play the game in these little tables... One of the great things about them is you can stick your knees under them, and the girl's knees stick under them, too. And since it's a very, very tiny table, your knees touch somewhat erotically. And that's called kneesy. And you sit there, and you keep saying, oh, am I bumping you? See, of course you're bumping her. You know, you can just see her face gets red every couple of minutes. You're really bumping her. So you move back again. And uh, it's kind of a, you know, it's a little counterpoint to the excitement of drinking uh, strawberry yoo and and they just the whole evening was just getting greater and greater, see. And, and by now, this is the moment when, when it, it's at its most dangerous. Over in the corner, the entertainment begins. You thought you could get out before it started, but no. Because that means not only are you going to have to 
sip through that because this is going to cause you to have to yell at her all the way through the meal now. But in addition to that, eventually the guy playing the violin will come over and stand by your table and play the violin in your ear, which is going to cost you $10. That's embarrassing. How do you, you know, what do you do? He comes over and he starts playing humoresque. Has that ever happened to you? It hasn't. Well, that's what you get for hanging around McDonald's as much as you do. That doesn't happen at Geno's or McDonald's. It does occasionally at the Dairy Queen, but that's only on Wednesday night after 8. So uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and, and they had one of these cockamamie Dixie beds. <laughs> you know, there's a certain kind of chic place in town that thinks Dixie is chic, you know. So this Dixie band starts to honk away over the corners. And they're honking away, seeing them sitting there. Yeah. And I, I've got up playing it real good, and I got my old, you know, I got my old, my old Rasputin's Revenge, and I keep swirling it with the with the swirler there, the swizzle stick. They had a swizzle stick, see, that was made in the form of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's kind of a neo-Italian-French restaurant. I'm swizzling away there, and I'm crushing the mint. I'm, I'm trying to look very romantic. With that, over comes Luigi. And Luigi says, Ah, your salad, sir. And he puts the salad down in front of the chick, and he puts one down in front of me. Well, I'm looking down at the salad, and I'm... Sipping away at Rasputin's Revenge. Everything's going cool. The band is playing away there. And, and I must I might point out that very few things are more irritating to a good night eating than a Dixie band playing away. This is not the ideal uh, dinner music. Do you agree with that? You know? In fact, I, I, I make it a point to never go near a place where there's Dixie land of any type being played. This is not my dish of tea. But nevertheless, we're here. This is and they're honking away. And they usually wear those corny red and white striped shirts. You know, that kind of thing with the fake straw hats and all that. And they keep winking at you. And the, the guy with a trombone, you know, keeps uh, putting that, uh, you know, that, that, that tin derby over the front. But he goes, quack, 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 quack. And everybody, so, you know, they sit there and pound on, uh, on glasses and stuff. So my knee is, uh, you know, it's, it's getting nice and warm. Everything's working good. And all of a sudden... I glance down at this unbelievably expensive chef's salad, which is in front of my plate. I look down at it. Comes in one of these, uh, well, it actually was a Florentine plastic bowl. And uh, kind of nice. It had these uh, Greek designs on the side. Now, I don't know how they mix Florentine and Greek, but they did. So, uh, you know, and I, I look down there and my salad, and I'm aware of some curious... Well, let's put it this way. We are creatures of habit, right? We are also creatures of uh, instinct, which we rarely discuss. We are also creatures of environment. All three of those things combine to make the you so lovable, <laughs> which is the lovable you, which is the you that you have constantly been trying to change and find totally unable to do so. Because forces beyond which you have no control have molded you like a piece of silly putty into the foolish, clottish mold that you now that you now present to the world. Those three things, they, by the way, will appear on the Blue Book exam. I would suggest you make a note of those, those three things. Environment, put that down. A, environment. Uh, B, you ready for that? There's an instinct. Put that one down. See? All right, uh, you like that one, huh? Environment, instinct. Three, heredity. Those are the three forces that have combined to make you the clod that you are, and you will not be able to escape them. Just keep it playing. That's all you got to do. 
That's the way with Dixie bands. They never know when you've had enough. It just keeps playing over and over again. So those three elements were at work on me. Now what is what is the element of instinct? Let's examine each in its turn. Let's examine each in its turn. Let's take heredity. There's not a damn thing you can do about that. Heredity. If your father was a short, fat guy that lost his hair at the age of nine, well, the chances are you're going to be a short, fat guy that loses his hair at the age of three. So, uh, that's heredity. Right? Nothing you can do. Now, what about environment? Damn little you can do there. Because you're trapped before you can fight. There you are, six months old, and you already got a bad environment. Now, uh, the other thing, uh, you may do something about it. You know, but not much. Instinct. All you can do is fight instinct. But there has been on record not one case ever of anyone winning the fight. In other words, the fight against your instincts is a losing fight, right? Have you ever tried to fight your instincts? Oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden my instinct takes over. I sense something. The old jungle instinct of the, of the jungle man. I sense something looking at me. I peer around, and I see it is looking at me for my salad. I raise carefully the leaf of lettuce, and I see two beady eyes peering at me from under the salad. I raise it a little higher, and I see it is about a 17-pound, gigantic, green, black-eyed, red-footed, mean-looking, angry caterpillar. He must have weighed, oh, six, seven pounds. And that little... That little mother's looking right at me. Right back on Now that's a problem. Instantly, instinct again takes over. Instantly, I am cold sober. Rasputin's revenge is gone. I look up at Luigi and I say, Luigi. And he says, uh, well, we oui, oui, sir. I says, Luigi. Without saying anything, I just lift the lettuce. And he looks down. He says, ah, I see. You wish, uh, you wish the French dressing instead of the Italian. I says, indeed, he more. And he takes, he takes it away, see? And the chick says, uh, Gee, what was the matter with the salad? I says, nothing, honey, nothing. And she says, uh, Oh, can I have another drink? I says, go ahead, honey. I says, Luigi, another poor cafe was the lady. And I says, oh, by the way, Luigi, where is he, John? He says, out in the back. Twelve minutes later, I'm running down the alley, making a left turn of 46th Street. But I'm ever looking back. That uh, I ain't stopped running since, really, one way or another. <laughs> She's probably still sitting there drinking Poos Cafes. She's had over 1,200 of them since I left. And that ends tonight's salute to Julia Child. Yes, Adventures in Eating comes to you every night at the same time. So be ready for all the excitement, all the fun. Yes, all the excitement and all the fun of truly exhilarating eating. Hmm. you the public service. You're singing very well tonight, my dear. Quack, quack, 
Okay, that's it. Having you had it for tonight, Frank. If you've had your chance, you blew it again. This is WOR New York and RKO radio station. Stay tuned for John Wingate. Was there a White House tape involving the president before the Watergate break-in? As more calls come in for him to quit, Mr. Nixon's right-hand man believes he'd do it only if he thought it better for the country. Rising hospital costs. Will they go higher? Yes, says the head of the New York State private hospitals. And he'll tell you why tonight. Direct report also on the 87-year-old who still loves his motorbike and rides it daily. It's 10 o'clock in New York, and this is John Wingate with the Wingate News Digest. You, your money, stocks, medicine, prices, people, all to come. This is Norman Shaw here at Battery Park talking to Dick Simpson, the senior vice president of REA Express and the New York State chairman for National Transportation Week. Dick, there seems to be a lot of activity going on down here. So I wonder if you'd tell the public what's in store for the Transportation Week celebration. Well, Norm, we're proud of an industry that provides thousands of jobs in the state, and especially New York City. So we're kicking everything off with a great exposition at noon on Monday, May 13th, at the War Memorial in Battery Park. There'll be a dedication by Mayor Beam, and the show is open to the public. What does the show consist of, Dick? Well, we'll have all types of vehicles, old and new. We'll have a Coast Guard cutter open to the public, plus bands and more displays on the importance of transportation. That sounds great, Dick. Anything else to add? Just remember the date, Monday, May 13th, Battery Park, for an exposition honoring National Transportation Week. 56 degrees and partly cloudy in mid-Manhattan. If you need some money to buy a car, here's some news from Chase Manhattan Bank. Chase has a really nifty gift that goes along with every car loan of $2,000 or more. A handsome, luggage-like highway emergency kit. Just to list what's in this kit tells you how much...